right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Um, we are really lucky here at the Young Turks. Um, I think there's at least four living legends right now, and we're about to interview the fourth. We did talk to the other three, including Reverend William Barber, um, just a little while ago, uh, and all within the last couple of months. Uh, and now we have the fourth living legend for you guys, uh, Dolores Huerta. Uh, so she uh, founded the Agricultural Workers Association, the United Farm Workers with um, uh, Cesar Chavez. Uh, Dolores, I'm gonna embarrass you a little bit by reading a lot more. She won the Puffin Nation Prize for Creative Citizenship, the Eleanor Roosevelt Award. Then uh, She's in the National Women's Hall of Fame, the Ellis Island Medal of Freedom Award. Uh, she's the one who uh, came up with the term "si se puede" that uh, Barack Obama used so well in 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 his campaign, uh, and really just a absolute legend uh, in activism and in the labor movement. Dolores, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Young Turks. Well, thank you. I feel quite honored to be on your program. I remember the first time I saw you, and I heard about what you were doing, and I was just blown away. To think, and you were so far ahead of your time because not everybody is doing what you were doing way back then. <laughs> Thank you, Dolores. Really, really appreciate that. And of course, Dolores also has the Dolores Huerta Foundation, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And uh, and she was wonderful uh, to me uh, on my campaign and came in to help when no one else would. So that's that's the kind of person that she is. So Dolores, I want to go back uh, a little bit. To give folks a sense of how you came up, so I you recently celebrated your 90th birthday, so congrats on that, happy birthday! Um, and uh, but I want to go back in time because you your activism goes back to the 1940s, which is amazing. I, I actually before we start about talking about labor, which you're you're most famous for, um, you also know a thing or two about police abuse. Uh, once the police beat you so bad in San Francisco, they broke six ribs and you almost died. Um, so tell us about that. I mean, because Trump just uh, today in the news, there was a quote of him saying, you know, it was just one cop kneeling on a guy's neck and all of a sudden there's protests everywhere. What's the reality of it? Well, we know it's not just one guy. We know that there are dozens and dozens of people that have been killed by police. Uh, most of them black people and brown people and some poor white folks too don't have also been killed by police. but. The majority of people of color, and had it not been for that video of that that a young woman, I understand, a 17-year-old took that video of that policeman having his neck on George Floyd's neck, and you know none of this would have happened, none of the protests, none of the changes that we're seeing unfold before our very eyes, and it we know that it does have to stop. It it's it's been ongoing for so many so many decades, and. I mean, we can say from the time of slavery, right? And against, especially against black people. And thank God, I think that now we have all of these. I want to thank all of the demonstrators that were out there, many of them risking their lives literally to be out there because of the COVID 19. And for, you know, having the courage to go out there and to protest on behalf of George Floyd and all of the others that have been killed by police. So uh, you were beat by the police in uh, 1988, I believe. Yes. So, uh, Dolores, what happened in your case? Well, actually, uh, it was a picket line against uh, George Walker Bush, and it was about pesticides. Cesar uh, Chavez had just done a 36-day uh, water-only fast, 
he had gone without eating for 36 days to call to the attention of the American public about the dangers of, of poison, the dangers of pesticides, the cancers, the deaths that come from using those economic poisons on our food. And after he finished his fast, uh, then we all went to different cities. I went to San Francisco and to bring attention to the public again about Caesar's fast and, and to tell people about the dangers of these economic poisons that are used on our food every single day. And while I was at, the, at that protest, and by the way, uh, in, in addition to the protest uh, being around about, it was about the, 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 the uh, our government being in Central America, a lot of people had signs that said, US out of El Salvador, uh, Bush Noriega, that's the ticket, remember Norge Noriega, who worked with the CIA uh, from Panama. Yeah. And so it was that kind of a demonstration. It was, it was peaceful, it was a, a lot of labor people that were there. There was really, no one was really out of hand and then the police just moved in and started beating people up. And I was one of the victims that got beaten up by the police. And by the way, it's in the documentary, people wanna see the documentary Dolores, my name, uh, by Peter Bratt, uh, produced by Carlos Santana. Uh, they can actually see the actual footage of my being beaten up by the police. Yeah, no, I, I have it on my table right here in this room actually. So that's right, everybody check out Dolores. Uh, the documentary. So, um, you know, the reason I brought that up is because people think that some people make the mistake of thinking that it's new. No, uh, unfortunately, police have been uh, targeting uh, activists, the left wing, and minority communities for time immemorial in this uh, country, and um, and it, it's not remotely new. And, and same thing on. I mean, you mentioned Noriega, the CIA. Uh, uh, aided and abetted Noriega and Saddam Hussein, then turned around and went, oops, we created monsters. So then they invaded Panama and Iraq to get rid of the monsters that they had created. Um, and so, and then they put in new monsters. So the, they, the government unfortunately has been doing this for a long time. And, and folks like Dolores have been fighting it a long time. So let's move to the labor movement. What made you get involved in that in the first place? Well, I grew up in Stockton, California, which is south of Sacramento or east of Sacramento. It's an agricultural community. And like here, where I live down in Bakersfield, you could see the way that the farm workers were treated. When I started organizing farm workers, I think farm workers were earning like 50 cents an hour. They had no unemployment insurance. They had to move from crop to crop. They couldn't even get food from the food, from the food banks. Uh, because if they didn't live in one county for 12 months, which is of course impossible because they had to follow the crops, uh, they weren't even able to get any of the surplus food that we we see now that's being distributed uh, to people during this pandemic. And so they were in very, very dire straits and the conditions were terrible. They literally had to work from sunup to, to sundown. Uh, and I think I mentioned they were earning like 50 cents an hour. I mean, it was really, really brutal. And they were just being treated like no toilets in the fields, no drinking water, no relief periods, didn't have the right to organize into a union. So the situation was pretty desperate at that time. Dolores, but you were a good student, you could have done anything. So you could have gone into business, you were a teacher for a while. What made you say, nope, instead I'm gonna take the much, much harder route, the thankless route with almost no resources to back me up. Uh, and and be an activist to try to help these folks. What, do you remember like what what initially got you started down that path? 
Well, I had the good fortune of meeting this great organizer named Fred Roth Sr. Uh, he was he was originally uh, from Los Angeles, and he had uh, developed an organizing technique, uh, which we know some people call house parties, we call house meeting. But if you get people together a few at a time, and then uh, you make a, get them to commit to build an organization, and that working together and taking direct nonviolent collective action, that you can actually change things. And when I found out that you could do this, I thought, well, because you know, like many of us, we just complain and complain and complain about the situation, and we don't really know how to solve it. But once I found out that you had people power, that if people came together, they could actually <clears throat> make a change. And once I learned that, then I wanted to devote my life uh, to doing exactly that. And that is, to this day, this is what I've committed my life to. Yeah, I love that story. Um, so, hey, you know, if you're out there and you're ever organizing a meeting, and we've done a lot, right? And and so some of you have, have participated in those. You never know when there's a Dolores Huerta uh, that comes to that meeting and you spark something that's amazing. So uh, now let, let's go to the movement because so you, you and Cesar Chavez start United Farm Workers. And at the time, as you say, they're not allowed to take bathroom breaks. They're out there in the sweltering heat and 50 cents an hour, etc. Now, when you guys go to fight them, Cesar Chavez is the more public face of it. He's a great speaker, but you were the chief negotiator. So that's awesome. So what did you guys ask for? Uh, let me go back a little bit. And just when you talk about a bathroom break, there were no bathrooms to begin with. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Literally, I mean, when when you think about how embarrassing this is, especially for the women, uh, when you had to go take a, a so-called bathroom break, and there's no bathroom to go to, but just an open field, and women have to bear their bodies literally uh, to go to the bathroom, and there's nothing there, and they they have to use towels, they have to use sheets to to kind of hide behind. It is so humiliating. And then again, thinking about the this is the food. Uh, that is put on our table, and there were no bathrooms. I mean, the thought, just the thought of it is so idiotic. But that, that is kind of the mentality that had, the employers had towards farm workers uh, that you know that they were not worthy of even having a bathroom. And this is kind of the idea of how do you humiliate people? How do you oppress them by not treating them like human beings? This is really what that message was to to the workers out there. You are not really human beings because you don't even have a, a porta potty out there. Or a bathroom to go to. I mean, so uh, you know, th this is kind of the situation uh, that that we were facing at that time, and and of course the fear too, because workers had no rights. If they tried to speak up for themselves, they could be instantly fired. And then the uh, people went together to work as families. So and literally, the whole family would lose would lose their job if anybody complained about the situation that they were working in. So. In a situation where anyone who complains is immediately fired, how do you even organize them? Well, we had to do it, as I mentioned earlier, just family by family, house by house, getting a few people at a time, talking about the conditions, explaining to them that you know they really could change the conditions that they were living in and working in, but they had to come together. So it took a lot of patience, it took a lot of time, and actually before, we had the first strike in Delano, California in 1965. Cesar and I had been having these meetings in people's homes for three solid years. It didn't happen overnight. You know, we had to build we had to build an organization and then do it literally family by family, group by group, small group by small group. But it worked. 
See, this is why I love these conversations because I need people to realize that you know it's not quick, and you know, and if you don't get immediate gratification, hold on, hold on. It took Dolores and Cesar Chavez three years to get to a point where they could take action, and so, and so, what was it that you guys, if you remember, that that you were originally asking for when you went to go negotiate? Uh, with the companies? Well, toilets, <laughs> number one, uh, rest periods, uh, uh, an increase in wages. And actually, in, in our first contracts, we had we got a hiring hall, then we got a medical plan for the workers, and we actually got unemployment insurance in our contracts uh, several years before, but actually about almost 10 years before it became a law in the state of California. So every contract that we signed, we had the employers pay into a fund for unemployment insurance for the workers. So that way, when they had to migrate from one place to another one, and if they were without a job, they could have they could get a check. You know, they could actually have something to live on between jobs. And how did you break those guys? Because it's, I mean, the modern world is bad enough, but back then you it was even harder, and so. And you didn't have any technology to organize people. I mean, there's just so many challenges that went along with it. So what worked? What I eventually got the the great companies to say, okay, you win. We'll pay higher wages and do the things you're asking for. Well, actually, you know, we had this huge strike where people came out on strike, but we're so close to the Mexican border that they could bring in strike breakers literally overnight. So they would keep bringing more people in. We would take them out. They would bring more in. We would take them out. And then finally, one of our volunteer attorneys at that time, a guy named his name is Stu Weinberg from San Francisco. He said, "Have you ever thought of doing a boycott?" And we said, "What a boycott!" And that—that's when they were doing the bus boycott. They had done the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. And so we thought, well. And then he said, "Yeah." He said, "Because some of the companies that you're that you're striking are liquor companies like Shenley, and we had all these wine companies like like Gallo Wine and." So we thought, okay, we'll try that. So some of our volunteers, they actually hitchhiked all the way to New York and they found out where the markets were, uh, where this company, Shenley, who then had a whiskey, Shenley whiskey, and they had the wine and they had the vermouth. And so we took on that one company, Shenley, and went and started saying boycott Shenley. Well, you know what? I mean, that did it. So the company signed, Shenley signed, and then we picked off some of these other wine companies and they also signed contracts. And then we went after the grape companies, and then we had this huge boycott of all California grapes. And when the growers, you know, when they started selling their grapes out of the Coachella Valley, about thirty-five dollars a box. Well, when they it it came to where they were have, literally having to auction off the grapes at the market in New York for seventy-five cents a box and fifty cents a box, then we knew we had won. So it was, literally, we had to hit them in the pocketbook. Okay. Uh, when they couldn't sell the grapes, when we had 17 million Americans that stopped eating grapes, and that's when they came to the table and signed contracts. Yeah, it's so many lessons there as well. Uh, so at the end of the day, uh, money moves the world, and so you guys move the money, and and then finally they were fair uh, and decent to their employees. Um, and and another th- uh, point I picked up there that I didn't see before: they hitchhiked to New York. <laughs> to start the boycott. I mean, it was amazing what you guys went through. So one last thing about that. When was the moment that you knew you had won? 
paint paint a picture for us of that moment and how and how good it felt. Well, actually, uh, we decided we thought, well, these guys by now we 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 know that we've stopped the grapes in several cities and everything from Chicago to New York uh, to New York, also in Canada and uh, some in Europe. We had the Longshoremen help us there, so we uh, actually we sat down and we did a study about you know studying the markets and and uh, the shipments and everything, and we realized and the price for the grapes and we said, hey, we have won. And I remember this one fellow from the, uh, the head of organizing for the AFL-CIO, his name was Bill Kircher. And uh, he said, you know what? It's like they've had their head cut off, but they don't know it till they sneeze. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. And actually, uh, when they finally gave in, one of the big growers, his name was John Jamara um, Jr., uh, he called Caesar up, I think, like at midnight. And said, "Okay, you won. I want to negotiate." But then Caesar was very, very smart, and Caesar said, "I will not negotiate with you by yourself. I want you to get all of the growers together." And I think he gave him like 24 hours. You, know, you get all the growers together, and then we'll negotiate with the with the whole industry because he didn't want to go one by one. And and that actually they did. Uh, within I think it was actually like from one day to the next, they got all the growers together, and then they set up a negotiating committee. So that was history. Unfortunately, I wish I could say to you that all of the grape growers are under contract, uh, but unfortunately they're not. Uh, because later on, if you see the documentary, and I think you've probably seen it, uh, after we got the contracts in uh, 1970, uh, then uh, a few years later, the Teamsters came in and they signed sweetheart contracts with the, with the growers and, and the union lost all of the contracts. So the uh, United Farm, and I'm not with the union anymore. I left the union in uh, 2002. But today, United Farm Workers has a lot of contracts in the vegetable industry. Uh, they have contracts in the strawberries, but they have very few contracts in the grapes, unfortunately. Yeah. But, yeah, but the struggle continues. But um, but the fact that you and Cesar Chavez, who are just two average Americans, you know, with no power, no money, no nothing. Uh, were able to organize through people power and bring industries to their knees until they were fair. It's just amazing. It's 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 a wonderful story. And and speaking of the struggle continues. I mean, you're still uh, at it today. So tell us what the Dolores Huerta Foundation does. Well, right now we're doing a lot of stuff. We're working a lot on on food banks. In fact, uh, your friend Ruth uh, Sanchez, whom you know very well, uh, she recently was just instrumental in getting us. Hundreds of gallons, 500 gallons of milk, uh, hundreds of pounds of food, and not only was she able to get us uh, food for the Antelope Valley uh, in that area, but also helping us get food for the Central Valley of California. So we've been doing all of these food banks. We've literally given them in many, many different areas of Tulare County and Kern County and parts of Alley County, having food banks. Uh, we're still working on education. You know, we sued the Kern High School District. Uh, we're going back to court with them because they haven't complied uh, with the bias that they have against black students and brown students. Uh, uh, so we're active in about 14 different school districts, again, uh, trying to end the racism in the school district. Uh, we've been working on the census. We had 120 people uh, going door to door. We had to stop and then go on phone banking. We're going back to the streets again uh, with, again, another 120 people uh, starting on July the 20th. And so we are really super busy. We have a youth group and then we have our civic engagement group. We're working on schools and communities first. And I hope that I would love to have you do a whole special uh, session just on that. 
because this is an initiative that will bring in over $12 billion into our schools and our communities. And uh, if, uh, you know, if we can uh, pass that, it'll be on the ballot in November. That'll be a big, big victory for us. And the money will come from the corporations. It'll come from Disney, from Chevron, from all of these big corporations that have not paid their, their fair share of property taxes, okay? So, so we yeah. have, can talk more about what's going to be on the ballot in November. Well, first of all, I want people to know you can get more information at DoloresHuerta.org. Uh, and we've been showing that to you on the screen. We'll have a link down below if you're watching later on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, but the ballot initiative that Dolores is referring to is the schools and communities first uh, ballot initiative. And so um, for folks who are not familiar with California, can you tell us about what it reverses in Prop 13 and, and how it reallocates money? Well, uh, the big uh, corporations, uh, many of them uh, are have not really kept up and pay their property taxes. Homeowners, as we all know, we have had our property taxes have increased every year, every year they keep going up. But these big property, commercial property owners, their taxes have not gone up. And so now it's time for them to pay up. And it's Proposition 15 on the ballot. Yeah, and uh, it's amazing work as always, uh, 1.7 million signatures on it. So it became absolutely undeniable. And it would send uh, $12 billion every year for schools and essential workers, etc. And so it makes all the difference. One more thing, Dolores, um, you mentioned the census often, and you do a lot of work on it. So real quick, why is the census so important? Well, because it brings money into our communities. Each one of us that gets counted, we bring in $2,500, okay, into our, our community. And if we are not counted, then that money goes somewhere else. And a lot of people don't realize that. So we, and by the way, there's no citizenship question uh, on the census right now. We have to tell people, don't be afraid. It's confidential. Please participate. You already read about Dolores in some of your history books and civics books. Uh, and there'll be statues made of her. So why don't you go work with her right now? How is that for an honor of a lifetime? So everybody go to DoloresHuerta.org. Dolores, it's been an honor for me to talk to you and to have these conversations and to work with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much for having me on your program.